finished our Proverbs series, um, our weeks in that, and now we're going to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a significantly shorter book than Proverbs. And a lot of the ways that, you know, the those scholars that study the, the wisdom literature, they, they kind of have it sort of tiered um, in that they, they believe, you know, Proverbs is kind of basic and very general wisdom um, principles, right? That's what Proverbs are. They, they kind of have general principles and, um, you know, it, it, the book of Proverbs is, is a bunch of, a bunch of them together, but we can, we saw those, those different uh, streams of thought throughout them and, and, and all. But it's, it, quite frankly, it's very, for the most part, very simple truths. Now there can be some complexities and nuances that we looked at but for the most part, the book of Proverbs is, is simple, and it's good. We need that. We need simple wisdom, simple truth to guide our life, and that's what Proverbs is. And as we move through the books, of the wisdom books, we get into Ecclesiastes, and it, if we imagine it as a staircase, Proverbs is the first step, and then Ecclesiastes is the second step. We'll get to Job, Job being the third step um, after we finish Proverbs. And, and, we, and, and as we take those steps, we start to see that the concept of wisdom it can be complicated and as we're on this path to wisdom we um it's not always simple truths it's usually simple truths and in a perfect world it's simple truths and simple wisdom but we live in a world that is complicated at times and so we're going to start to see that in ecclesiastes i think just as a word of note the the word ecclesiastes um it's actually a greek word and it it, um, comes from the first uh chapter first verse of the of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, which we have in here, and I just kind of wanted to make this note. It says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Sometimes it's translated preacher, um, ter, uh, teacher. The, the Hebrew word there is kohelith, and that word translated to Greek is um, ecclesia or something like the, those lines. Now, ecclesia is the word for church in the Greek in the New Testament. That's where the word ecclesia, ecclesiology um, comes from. And so, uh, so it's the Greek uh, kind of being interposed on, onto that, that book, but it, it's Ecclesiastes. And so the idea is that it's a teacher, not just a teacher generally, but a teacher specifically for the assembly, which is what Ecclesia literally means is the assembly. Um, and so, so it's the teacher of the assembly, the, the one who, who leads the, a particular group of people. I think that's helpful for us to think about as, as we think of the, the teacher not just being a general teacher, which I think is what Proverbs really kind of serves as. Now, of course, it's specifically for the Jewish people, and it's in our scripture, so we'd say it's, it's scripture. But Proverbs kind of is like, here's some general truths based in the Torah, based in, in Yahweh, um, the understanding of worship of Yahweh. But it's, it's kind of general truths, whereas Ecclesia begins to kind of focus in. This is particular, particular for, the, for God's people, for sure. And so, um, so that's, a, that's a thing to note. And I'm curious, before we kind of get started, the, the series that we're going to be doing is, has, has videos that we'll be watching. Um, but before we watch that video, I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to ask you, have you read Ecclesiastes before? Have you done any, much studying of it? What's your, your impression of that book? Yeah, so often it's kind of like seen as this depressing book, right? Right. It's, it's the, it's the, it's, it's kind of like my dad used to say, I'm not being negative, I'm being realistic. Okay, all right. So that's important. That's an important distinction, It you know, seeing it as a realistic book. Um, we can look at it, we can read it, and it feels really negative and heavy. Um, but there's a difference in, in being a heavy or negative or depressing, right, sort of perspective versus being realistic. And so I think that's going to be a, a thing that we think about as we look at it. Anybody else read it much and have much, you know? Somewhere in my 60 years, probably have. I just come from it. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. What, is there, is there a line, without looking, don't look, is there a line from the book of Ecclesiastes that comes to mind when you, when you think of that book? Because Proverbs, we did that with, right? And there's a lot of Proverbs that come to mind really easy. Is there any lines from Ecclesiastes that come to mind? They're kind of Proverbs at times. Kind of. I'm kind of already. I've already been looking at the Scripture for tonight. Uh-huh. It's kind of hard to think of others. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, 
Well, I, I just remember generally seeing that teacher and seeing him as uh, as this wise yeah. person that has really lived life has gone yeah, yeah. out there yeah and has been out there and toiled and yeah and and knows what it is mm. so what's the use in what we do okay that's just an overall yeah okay that goes back to the impression but that uh, that he, he says that that basically says that throughout right right yep it does it is a theme throughout yeah so and the other thing that's probably the most famous um scripture from ecclesiastes Mm -hmm. is the text where it says for everything there is a time and a season right a time to time to die time to live Mm -hmm. right you know we did we did i think we studied that probably about a year ago maybe a little bit i did the study on it right and i think i remember about it is we used the was it the who sang it? Beatles? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it was, the, it was uh, stuff. Was it was one of that era. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's an artist who who wrote that song. It's right? one of the, it's one of the, <laughs> the artists wrote it, and it was like the it was one of the groups. Yeah, I know. I, I can hear the song in my head. I'm just um, not remembering the name either. And I remember we played that song. Yeah, as an example. But that was when we were going live on YouTube, and we got uh, we got. Um, oh, we got in trouble. Power right. Copyright. That's funny. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I've, well, I'll link to the video so they can yeah. take it down. Well, um, what I want to do before we watch the video again is I want to read verse Ecclesiastes, especially verse 2. Um, I've got verse 1 included. Verse 1 is simply the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, right off the bat, we're probably thinking of Solomon there, right? The son of, uh, the son of David. Solomon is the direct son of David. A lot of scholars will point out that all the kings in David's line were called the son of David. Jesus is called the son of David. So is it possible that it's a different king? Maybe. Um, Is it possible that it's Solomon? Yes. We just don't know. There's no way to know for sure. We just take what it says is that it's someone in the line of of David who who, um, was, was in that line of wisdom like Solomon, right? And so it doesn't use the name Solomon here, but we could... We can assume that, or we can uh, think that it's another king in Jerusalem's uh, history. But it's verse 2 that I specifically want to think us to look at. And we're going to look at it in a couple different translations. I've got one, two, uh, three, four translations. And I want us, I wanna, I'm going to read those, and then I want us to think about how these translations change the meaning of this verse. Okay, So this is the NIV. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's the NIV. Um, Here's the Common English Bible. Perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. Now listen, this is the NRSV, but it's also the language that the King James Version uses, the New King James Version, and the ESV Version uses. Um, And just kind kind of side note, the Common English Bible and the NIV are both known as dynamic equivalent translations. That means they translate... They translate the original language, but they're trying to do it in as, as close to normal English talking. That So it's called the Common English Bible, right? Um, and the New International Version is, is the same way. Their, their goal is to make it as clear in our, our normal English as possible. But the NRSV, the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the English Standard Version are all known as word literal translations. That means they are being as literal as they possibly can. Yes, they still want it to make sense in the English, but, but the goal is, is it sometimes will sound a little bit silly because it sounds very wooden, but the goal is to translate it perfectly. This is what all of those versions say with just slight differences. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher. Now, in the King James Version and the New King James Version, it uses the word preacher. I think the ESV uses preacher as well instead of teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Okay. So think about those differences there and those, those that we've just read. Now, the last one is the message. Um, if you're familiar with the message, the message is known as a free paraphrase. In other words, uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, read the, you know, re- read the original language and just paraphrased it. Okay, um, So it, it's not word literal and it's not even a dynamic equivalent. It's one step further and it's a free paraphrase. And the message can be really helpful sometimes. But listen to the way that the message translates it. The smoke, smoke, nothing but smoke. That's what the quester says. 
There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Now, I want you to think about that. Obviously, there's a one word specifically that I want us to look at. It's the main word. It's repeated multiple times. Um, in the first verse, first, first, in the NIV, it says meaningless. It uses the word meaningless. Uh, the Common English Bible says pointless. Meaningless, pointless, those are very similar words, right? We say those are synonymous, saying pointless or meaningless, synonymous. The NRSV and the other uh, word literal translations uses the word vanity. The message uses the word smoke. Now think about the differences in those, all right? Every, those are different words. Now again, the, the, C, the Common English Bible and the NIV, they're very similar. Those are synonymous. But between those two and the word vanity, it's a big difference, right? What, what's the difference there? What, I mean, that changes the whole meaning of the verse, really. And this, this is kind of, a, again, another side note. This is an illustration of just how, like, how important our translations are. And, tra- and, and comparing them. Because there's sometimes I read the Common English Bible and I prefer it more than anything else. Other times I, I read it and I'm like, no. And let me just tell you, I'll give you a, I'll give you a kind of a um, heads up. The Common English Bible and the NIV do a terrible job <laughs> translating the word that is translated to meaningless and, and pointless. It's terrible translation. It's just bad. Um, the New Revised Standard Version, and I've asked this question. I want to open it up. I need to stop talking. What, what's the difference there when you hear those words? How, how is it different based on the translation? say this, but I think the smoke is vanity. I don't know if I'm answering another question right now, but I prefer the vanity okay, because it speaks more to me. Okay. Um, because of the things that we pine for and long for okay. are, are the, the particularly outside of the ones that are outside of what God is providing are like smoke. Okay. You get them, and I can just use this as an example. I see something that is technology, and I like it. It's awesome. I yeah. buy it. I, I use it for a day or two, and then it doesn't get touched again. Yeah. That's smoke. Yeah. That's vanity. Yeah. Um, now, the meaningless and pointless aren't as strong a picture for me as vanity. Okay. And think of the difference in meaning there. I mean, that's not saying the same thing at all. If if we're reading this as Scripture, there is a verse in the Bible that says everything is meaningless. (laughs) What about the rest of Scripture? Does, Does the rest of Scripture communicate to us that everything is meaningless? Does Genesis 1... Communicate to us that everything is meaningless. Does uh, does all the gospel text and all the New Testament, you know, does that communicate to us that everything is meaningless? Um, I, I'm I'm doing a lot of the teaching that this guy that's about to we're about to listen to is about to say. So I'm I'm trying to trying to leave it a surprise on which of these translations actually get it right the best, <laughs> and I'm I'm giving it away. Let's see if I can get this to play. It is a work of life way, actually, yeah. And it doesn't look like it. Or do they make sure he leans their direction? Let me see. They may not. They may be honest. Oh, I gotta go my settings. Really make this way more difficult than it needs to be. I think it the sounds uh oh all right output HDMI there we go that should do it gotcha I'm just assuming there's like music here or something there we go
guy's name is Barnabas Piper, by the way. I don't think he's... When you hear the word vanity, what do you think of? It's probably something along the lines of a mirror, you know, the vanity that hangs in the bathroom, or somebody who really likes to look in the mirror, you know, the person who is so vain, they're shallow, they love to look at themselves, they focus on themselves. If you think about it for a minute longer, some other definitions of vanity, you probably come up with something like um, failure or meaninglessness, like that guy tried in vain to go out with the girl, or that lady tried in vain to get the job. There was, a, there was a failure, a meaninglessness in their efforts. So when we think of vanity, it's kind of an intense negative. It's a shallow person, it's meaninglessness, it's failure. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about vanity, which means it's really important that we understand what this word means because we jump into it right out of the gates in Ecclesiastes. In chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is vanity, the verse says. That's a comprehensive statement. That covers everything. And it repeats it over and over again for emphasis. So if all is vanity, we really need to understand this. So we have a, we have a keen understanding of where Ecclesiastes is taking us. What, what is this about to tell us? So let's, let's take the definitions we just looked at and see if they fit in this verse. So we can rule out mirror right away. It's not talking about bathroom furniture. Uh, so let's take shallowness, pride. Is, when this says vanity of vanities, all is vanity, is it telling us that everything in the world is self-centered, is prideful? Possibly. We are prideful people. We are self-centered. We are prone to, to put ourselves first, to think of ourselves first, to think about how we come across our appearance. But how well does that mesh with what the rest of the Bible says? Because essentially what that would be saying is that everything in the world is sinful. When it says vanity of vanities, all is vanity, that means everything is, is wrong, is sinful, is prideful. That doesn't mesh with what we see in the rest of Scripture. So we can rule out that definition. When Ecclesiastes says all is vanity, it's not talking about pride or selfishness. Well, let's consider the other definition of vanity that we considered. Is it failure? Is it meaninglessness? You know, the idea of doing something in vain. Is that what Ecclesiastes is talking about? So functionally, what he would be saying is that everything in life is meaningless. Everything in life is bad. Granted, life can feel that way sometimes, especially when we're struggling, especially when we've been in a time of trial. It can feel like, man, everything is for nothing. Nothing matters. It's all a waste of time. But again, consider the rest of Scripture. How does that definition mesh with the promises of God? When God says he will never leave us or forsake us, when God says that he is good, when God says that he's the good shepherd, when God says that he has a plan for our lives, how does that mesh with meaninglessness or failure? How does it mesh with the commands of God? When God says to love our neighbors and care for creation and on and on and on, that doesn't sound meaningless or like failure to me. So Ecclesiastes can't be telling us that life is meaningless or that everything is worthless. It has to mean something else. So what is it? What Ecclesiastes is telling us when it says all is vanity, it's, it's telling us uh, to think of something like mist or vapor or smoke. The idea of something that is that is there, it is real, but it's passing away. So where I live in the Nashville area, it's real common to have heavy fog first thing in the morning. So I drive my kids to school, we pull out of the driveway, you can't see six feet in front of the car. The fog is so heavy, it feels almost dangerous to drive. You creep along, get back home after dropping them off. I look out the window, an hour later, the sun has come up and the fog has been burned away. That's vanity. It's a real thing with real effects. You can see it. It has an effect on life. It's, it's there, and then it's gone. So when Ecclesiastes says vanity, it's talking about something real and tangible, but also not lasting. It has, a, it has another side to its meaning as well, and that's the idea of not being fulfilling. So vanity of vanities means that nothing is fulfilling. Nothing functions the way that it ought to. Nothing is as we hope it will be. So not only is nothing lasting, nothing fully meets our expectations. So that's what Ecclesiastes is communicating when it says that all is vanity.
So that doesn't mean that everything is bad. It doesn't mean that life is a waste. What it means is that we can't grasp on to everything in this life for fulfillment, for hope, for happiness. It would be like trying to grab on to fog or smoke or vapor. And don't you feel this sometimes? Don't you feel that as life goes on, the things that you have put your hopes in just fade away or they, they don't measure up to your expectations? You're left with a sense of just sort of low-grade disappointment. Or maybe it's not low-grade. Maybe it's profound disappointment because you have, you have counted on something and it turns out to be vanity. It's a thing that doesn't meet your expectations. It doesn't last. It doesn't ultimately fulfill you. So the question we're faced with is whether or not this is all bad news. Is Ecclesiastes simply a book of bleakness is really what we're facing into right now. And the short answer, of course, is no. The Bible doesn't have any books that are all bad news, that are bleak. There is something else going on here. And we get the context for it and we get pointed in the right direction just a few verses later in chapter 1, verse 9, which says... What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. That last phrase, under the sun, is key. It is the context for all of this. So when we started with vanity of vanities, what it's saying is that all is vanity under the sun. It gives us a shape to the book of Ecclesiastes. So that means throughout the rest of the book, the rest of the study, you need to remember all is vanity under the sun and then what this context is. And there are multiple layers to the meaning of under the sun. So you got to hold a few ideas in your mind at the same time. They are, uh, they, they work together, they're in tandem, and they cover different aspects of life. So under the sun is both a location and a duration. It is, it gives, it gives a place as well as an amount of time is, is what it's describing. So in terms of location, under the sun literally means everywhere the sun shines. Every place, every person that it falls on, every culture on the earth. So under the sun is a comprehensive all over the world, everywhere, every person. That's the location. The duration is talking about a lifespan, the beginning and the end of something. So you may have heard the phrase, um, Something like the dawning of a new era. You think of the um, you think of the beginning of the 20th century with the rise of uh, automakers and then um, the rise of technology. It's the dawning of a new era. That means it's the beginning of something. Or if you're a sports fan, you've probably heard the phrase uh, talking about an older athlete saying they're in the twilight of their career. Well, what does that mean except that it's coming to an end? So you have dawn and twilight. That's a beginning and an end. We use sunrise and sunset language to talk about duration and lifespan often. It's a great metaphor. So under the sun means it is everywhere on earth, and it means that there is a lifespan for everything under the sun. Everything is measured by its dawn and its twilight. So that covers absolutely everything comprehensively. But there's also a theological aspect to under the sun. So it's location, duration, and then it has a very specific thing to say about God and about our relationship with God. Because under the sun means that there is a divide between the reality on earth and perfect reality with God. It means that there's a break in the relationship with God. So when you see under the sun, and it's repeated 20 plus times throughout Ecclesiastes, it is a true theme. It's saying in the context of a broken relationship with God, this is what's going on. And that goes back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve, the first people, rebelled against God. So they had a, they had a perfect existence. God had made the world good. They chose to rebel so that they could functionally be the lords of their own life. Well, as a consequence, God cursed the whole world. And with the curse came death. Death was introduced prior to that, Everything was as it should be. There was no death. There was no decay. There was no pain. Nothing was vain at that point. So with the curse of Genesis 3, because of human sin, all became vanity under the sun. So when we see under the sun, we're talking about the reality of Genesis 3, the curse and its effects on the whole world. Now, I said earlier that Ecclesiastes is not all bad news, and that's true. Now, it is about a cursed reality. It is about vanity and things coming to an end. It is about decay. It is about a lack of fulfillment. None of that sounds like good news. 
But what Ecclesiastes is doing is painting a dark backdrop against which the truth of the reality of God shines most bright. And that comes through throughout the book. So it's not just darkness, darkness, darkness. In the midst of it, you see these shining lights of God saying, this is good, and here you find joy, and in this there is meaning. So don't think of this as just a slog through the bad news that we have to live every day anyway, but rather a realistic description of how dark things are in separation from God as a backdrop against which we can see how good reality with God is. So in this life, all is vanity under the sun. In this life, that is our context, and that is the context for Ecclesiastes. So as you study this book and you look at wisdom, you look at work, and you look at wealth, and you look at justice, you see the vanity there, but you also see the Lord at work in those things. And this dark backdrop, this vain reality under the sun, should stir our hearts for a desire for a new and better and brighter reality with God above the sun. So, he, he was reading from the ESV and he was explaining it that way. Um, but he uses the language of smoke and fog, obviously, as a metaphor. Um, he doesn't say this, but the word is literally uh, uh, mist. That's, that's the literal word for Hebrew. Um, and, and obviously, our, our English translations are trying to, because if it just says mist, everything is mist. You know, they're, so they're putting their interpretation into it by saying it's meaningless or it's vanity is the way that they're trying to communicate what they believe that word means. Because a lot in the Hebrew, they don't have, the Hebrew language didn't have near the amount of words that we have in English. And so they used a lot of uh, metaphors, physical metaphors, to describe you know, uh, different things. And I think I've told you this before, but there, there's a common phrase in Scripture that says, uh, the Lord is slow to get angry. The literal translation of that is he's long of nose. And that comes from the idea that you get hot in your face whenever you're angry. And so and what it's saying is it takes a long time for the, the anger, the, the, the action that causes anger to get to the face for, for God. But we translate it, the Lord is slow to get angry, right? And so there's a lot of things like that. And so in this case, the literal word is, is something along the lines of vapor or smoke or fog. And so it's actually the message which is not a word literal translation that I think gets it the, be- the best. It's smoke, nothing but smoke. Um, and it's trusting, the message is trusting us to understand what's being communicated there, whereas it feels like the other translations don't trust us to understand what the literal word means. Um, um, I would, could, could, as I've been, I've been doing a little bit of word study here in mm-hmm. the process, and it seems to me that there's a lot of ways it can go. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and something that spoke to me about it is it could be something, anything that, the vanity part. Right. Is anything that distracts me yeah. from God and his yeah, purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I and think that's, we, that's really the message of the, of, of the guy here on the video as well, is that, mm-hmm. that, that idea of under the sun, which we're going to hear over and over and over again, um, that's a metaphor, right? We, we use the language of heaven all the time. Of, of where you know God's perfect reality as he as he described it heaven is is where God resides it's where God is worshiped and and things are as they're supposed to be well God's desire is for that reality to be here on earth that's what we're praying when we pray thy kingdom come right that's what we're desiring is, is that God's perfect reality be true in our own lives um, and in our world and that's what our hope is is that in the end that God will make that so and so, you know, that's being the point being now, the way things are now, there is separation from God. And because of that, that we, we find ourselves grasping for, for, for meaning uh, and things that, that, that can't give us that. And so you can, you can see where the, the translations are getting the idea of meaningless or, or, or uh, 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 pointless from. Um, and in reality, what, what's true is, is if we... If we grasp hold of those things that are in our world and expect them to satisfy us or give us what we need, they, they don't, they're not able to give us that sort of meaning. And so it makes sense what's being said. Um, I, and the, the, the whole thing with the sun, right. I see what he was saying. But yeah. 
but that, that's what makes it hard with the translation, right? Because it also means east and west, yeah. Which can which can also translate over to infinite, mm. yeah. Like as far as the east is from the west, if you're either going east or you're going west. There's no <coughs> if you go east, you're always going east. If you go west, you're always going west. Right. And so there's that aspect of it. Well, so, I, I get what you're saying. What you have to keep in mind is is that they didn't know that the world was a sphere whenever Ecclesiastes was written, right? Right. So um, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have been the idea that it's infinite. The, there is a, in, as he's describing, there's a sunrise, there's a morning, and then there's an evening, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, right. Well, let's uh, let's turn to this oh. next page. Um, there you go. Yeah. One the verse two is a summary. Um, I like to call it the thesis of the book of Ecclesiastes. We hear it at the beginning, and we're going to hear it at the end again. It happens again in verse or chapter 12, verse 8. That's right at the, be- the end of the, the book. And so, so this really serves as the thesis of the book, the theme of the book. And so we have to keep it in mind throughout the entire book. Um, the line, again, it's repeated. How would you describe this theme in your own words? And we've heard, heard it talked about. I want to hear from you all. What, how would you describe this theme? Don't feel afraid to just repeat kind of what's already been said. I just want to reiterate that, really. Theme. I like how he said that the theme is we're pointing to the dark. Yeah. This is my, my paraphrase of it. We point, he, he's pointing to the dark. Vanity, vanity, all vanities. Pointing to the dark side of these things. Yeah. So that we can better see the light. Yeah, right. That comes through Christ. Well, Christ in our situation, yeah. but their situation they come from yeah, God, his, to God right. his purpose. Any other thoughts? So some, something he said in the video, and Kevin, you mentioned earlier, Ecclesiastes is a profoundly realistic book. Um, and that is the goal, is to, to speak some reality to us, to say... You know, we're not going to discover true meaning in anything in this world um, because because every because that's that's ultimately what sin is is seeking after other things other than than our our reconciled relationship with God and others to be where we find meaning. So Ecclesiastes invites us to confront the state of the world to recognize where the world is at. Uh, the meaning of vanity in Ecclesiastes is something that is real; it's tangible. Smoke, right? Vapor, it's real, it's tangible, but it's when we grasp after that that we find that it, it disappears. It's our, it's our attempt to grasp hold of, of, of anything in this life that we, re, we realize that ultimately it cannot be a source of meaning for us. Um, even the good things, right? Even things that we would, we would name as good, trying to grasp hold of it to give us meaning um, will result in its, uh, God willing, its disappearance. It, 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 I can't help but think of something that Mary Elizabeth often says during the, during the offering at church. Um, the idea of offering, and you've heard us talk about this many, many times, the idea of offering is that we're, we're, we're giving a part of what we have to God, but in doing that, we're saying everything that we have is ours. It's an act of worship. It's not just we need the money to uphold the church. That's a part of it, practically, right? But it's also for personal worship to say, I'm giving up part of what I have in order to communicate that everything that I have belongs to God. And the way that Mary Elizabeth always phrases it is if, if there's anything that we are grasping hold of too hard, too, too, too much, may God take it from us. I mean, that's a, that's a prayer to pray that God's going to take seriously if we pray it. And I hope that we all pray it seriously, that if we're grasping hold of something too, too tightly, that God would, God would take it from us. Um, and that's what vapor is, right? If we try to grasp hold of vapor, if we try to grasp hold of, of something, what we find is it, it does slip out, if, if you know, uh, God willing, and, and that's the way it should work. I think, I, I, I just was thinking about what Jesus said. If you don't hate yeah. your father, your mother, yeah. basically you don't hate everything else, right? and follow me, right. you don't hate that. And it's the same idea. It's yeah, yeah. These over here distract you from what right. you need to be focusing yeah. on. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and Jesus, I, I, I think when we get done with the Old Testament wisdom literature, we're going to go to the New Testament and choose some, some wisdom sayings. Jesus was very steeped in the wisdom literature because one of the things he's really good at is just using hyperbole, right, of, of saying, using the language of hate. Hatred, right. right? That's a strong yeah. word. He's using it to be hyperbolic. Hyperbolic. I tried to use that word last week. I'm struggling with it. Um, and so, yeah, that's an important thing to think of, think about. Um, think about this question. What have you hung your hopes on that has left you disappointed? helpful to, to even think about it that way you know thank God for mentioning that because you know we it can be easy to think of stuff or things that maybe we we become obsessed with we want to have a lot of technology or ha- have a lot of this or that right that if we're not careful can be like that for us but to think about it in, yeah. in the idea of of um other other humans right um Maybe not. Maybe not our children. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a relationship with someone, right? Um, a friendship or or an intimate relationship with someone. You know, if we are so, if we are so grasping hold, I've experienced this in my own life. I'm grasping hold of our expectations for others to to meet our needs or to meet our expectations or to meet our hopes for them, um, and and that we can we can be grasping hold of so much and we find that that even that's vapor that doesn't mean the person themselves is vapor right um but what our hopes and expectations and and desires for them are right and ultimately there's a there's a releasing uh, of them that has to happen and it's hard yeah you know i know that i've experienced that not with my children necessarily at this point in my life but but certainly other relationships that i've had that I was trying to grasp hold of. This is what I expect this relationship to look like. This is what I hope for our future together. Um, and that desire for control and grabbing, again, the person themselves not vapor, but those expectations and those hopes um, reveal to be, you know, by, by some, sometimes I would say it's the very, I mean, well, this is perfect. Again, this metaphor is so helpful because if you've got like smoke in front of you, you know, and it's just doing what it does. It's just going. Unless you grab at it, you know, or there's wind blowing, you know, but if say that there's no wind blowing, there's just smoke going up. Um, unless you grab at it, it's not doing anything. It's just doing what it does. It's going up. It's because it's the very action of trying to grab that smoke that you'll see it shoot away, you know, and it shoots off. And that, I mean, especially when it comes to human beings, our <coughs> grasping for them and, and hope for them and grasping after that hope, that that very action often, for, for a lot of people based on their personality, I think sometimes that very action of trying to grasp hold of them is what makes them run away. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience um, that in college before, before I was with Mary Elizabeth, that I did that in a relationship. My, my desire for what our relationship would look like with this particular individual my grasping for for that made her run away right um i can say thanks be to god now but but you know i i can i can also look back on and know that 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 was the way i was acting in that was not good i was doing exactly what ecclesiastes is speaking against here is 
So we cannot grasp after these things. So anyway, I think that's good to, to bring that up of relationships because I, I think when I, when I hear this question, I'm just assuming like, okay, what thing in my life, what, what possession in my life am I doing this? What is it money? You know, things like that. But to, to think about it in, in when the way that we interact with other humans is very important. It's, it might be more, even more important at times. When I, when I know at times when I, they'll make a decision that I don't agree with or don't yeah. like. Right. I'm constantly having to say, they're adults now. Yeah. They're adults. Just let it, let it go. Pray for them. Yeah. And, live and it, that's hard. That's very hard. There's a fatal reference. But, um... There you go. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And so, um, as we think about why we continue to put our hopes of this world, even though we've been disappointed, we get disappointed and we get disillusioned and the, the smoke flies away, right? When that happens, um, we have to be aware that we have to be aware of that and we need to learn lessons from it. Um, each of us is experienced disappointment and disillusionment. There's no way that, I mean, there's, there's no way to live in this world where everything is vapor. Everything is um, a, a vanity. There's no way to live in this world the way that we, we have to right now without experiencing this at times. We're going to experience it. Um, I think it's when it's continual, you know, in, in the instance of a, a human being or in the instance of money, when it's obsessive, right? That's when it's like, okay, this is, this is sin in our life. Um, but we are going to experience it. We're going to experience that reality of discovering that things are, are vapor, that expectations can be vapor. And so um, being aware of that, um, Ecclesiastes addresses these challenges not with gentle words and saying, oh, it'll be all right. Just hold on, it'll be okay. You know, it's not, it's not gentle words that Ecclesiastes is using. Um, we all know it's not always all right. Um, the hurt is real. Instead, it looks at reality the way that the Bible defines it. Fallen. Um, in need of repair. Um, not bad in itself, but gone down a bad path. Right? Broken. In need of, in need of reconciliation and redemption. Um, and, and that is what the gospel is all about, right? Is a path to that. Uh, we can't hang our hopes on anything in a fallen world because nothing is as it should be. Um, how might a profoundly realistic perspective of our fallen world help us find happiness and purpose? Say it another way, how can this truth that, that we're kind of being introduced in Ecclesiastes, how can it be a way for hope, right? How can it be a way for, for life, even though it seems very depressing and, and hard, right? How can it actually be a way to, for, for life? And... I heard a guy talking one time. Now, he wasn't a Christian or even a Jew, but he made the statement uh, and I'm not going to be able to quote it perfectly, but uh, somebody came up to him and, and asked him, how is he so calm about it? things are going on and whatever? He said, mm-hmm. "He said I learned a long time ago, it's just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Let it go. There's no need to, no need to worry over it. Okay. What's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that, that sounds like something we might see in Ecclesiastes. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Which we we have to be careful because I think that 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 idea of go with the flow could be misconstrued to mean like just whatever, blah blah. blah you know, yeah, I'm doing it right. And, and the, sure. you know, that's not the the meaning behind. I don't think that's the meaning behind that phrase, and that's not the meaning behind um, Ecclesiastes whatsoever either. Is it's right. more of to say that we do our we read Proverbs first. All right, we've got Proverbs down. Proverbs. It, it prescribes for us to work hard. It prescribes for us to stay on the path to wisdom. It prescribes that we, uh, we stay away from foolish people. We stay away from the path to foolishness. Okay, we got that. Hard work, you know, charity, those things are in Proverbs. We have that down before we read Ecclesiastes, okay? So we have that, and with that going forward, we acknowledge that despite that, you know, these are the principles, right? Proverbs are the principles, but it doesn't always end up that way. Just because we work hard doesn't guarantee that you're going to have success. Just because you, um, you um, were, were faithful in, in, in caring for others who needed your care. That might come back to bite you, right? That 
we acknowledge that. And so, uh, so there's the reality of that. I think what I hear you saying, Kevin, is that and when we acknowledge the reality, right? We, we take off our rose-colored glasses. We look at the world in realistic ways. Not saying that the world is all bad, all evil, all meaningless, but saying that um, the world has fallen, right? And this is what it looks like right now because it's, there's so much separation from God. And, and as Christians, I think it's, it's again, it's kind of ironic. Um, the, the title is Ecclesiastes, which is, comes from the Greek. We now use that, that, that word is used in the New Testament for the word church. Anytime you see the word church in the New Testament, it's the word ecclesia, which is where Ecclesiastes comes from. And so um, we've, we've taken that word and put it on the title. I, the, the, um, the, the Hebrew is just the words of Koheleth, right? They, most, most Hebrew word, most of the Hebrew titles of each of the Old Testament books are just the first few words of the book. Um, we, we, and the, the titles that we have are, are Greek, like Genesis is a Greek word, right? Um, so anyway, just to, to say that, to, that, you know, Ecclesiastes, which is not a Christian book, it's, a, it's, from, it's from the Hebrew faith, it's in our Christian scriptures, but it's from the Hebrew faith before Jesus, but it's Ecclesia, right? Um, and so I, I would argue, I would say, I, I would preach and teach that despite the fact that the world has fallen, despite that, the fact that God's kingdom hasn't come in full, we're in resurrection season right now. We are in this season of Easter. We are a resurrection people. Not just, not just waiting for it one day, not just hopeful that, that it will happen, but faith, which puts it in, in reality now for us. I mean, this is what I was preaching on this past Sunday, of that, that what we would say about the church is that we are a group of people who have come together to experience heaven on earth, to experience the kingdom of God now, to be a resurrection people now. And so... We, we acknowledge the reality of the fallen world, and by doing that together, we also are able to say, but Jesus has made a way, right, for us, right? And so Ecclesia, the, the, the gathering, the assembly um, of us together is what is really where the hope comes. Um, so the, the very title of the, of the book that we've given it in, in, in the English is, is to say, okay, it feels like a depressing book when you read it. But the title of it gives you the answer right there. Ecclesia, the gathering, the, the togetherness, and acknowledging the, the fallenness of the world is what allows us to, to, to know that God has made a way, right? If we pretend like everything's good in the world, we go out there and we exist in the world just like everybody else does, grasping for money, grasping for titles, grasping in our relationships, right? Holding on as if that's what's going to give us meaning. Then what we're going to find is that it's vapor. And we need to know that um, and sometimes we need to experience it. We, we, we all need to experience it. We all will experience it in order to, to know the reality of it. Um, and in order for us to look, you know, as, it, as he talks about under the sun, to look beyond the sun, right? Which is the language of heaven is above, right? It's the, that, that realm above, right? It's a, it's a metaphor in a lot of ways for us, right? Um, and so it's so important. Um, I just was thinking about why you were saying that. <coughs> Um, is is when I say, you know, just let it go, release it, whatever. Yeah. That's these things that are distracting us. Right. Let let them go. <coughs> let them distract. Right. Yeah. And and that's what the gathering is here to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is to that's gather exactly together right. Yeah. To help each other focus yeah. on that which right. is godly. That yeah. which he would have it focus yeah. on. Yeah, that's such an important understanding, and, and I'm not saying other churches don't, but those of us who come from the Wesleyan strain of Christianity, John Wesley's revival and all, um, as Nazarenes, that's our, that's our theological sort of uh, strain. That, that's so important for John Wesley. I mean, that's his, the point of the church is, is to experience together the reality that God has for us. Um, so verse 9, and he, re- he reads this, and he, again, he talks about under the sun, which he talks some about. What has been and is what, what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, and that language of under the sun, he said it in the video, is repeated over 20 times in this 12-chapter book, right? So many times that, that phrase under the sun is used. And so we think about the phrase under the sun. I'm just kind of reiterating something that he said in the video. Under the sun is both a location 
and a duration, right? So we thought about, so he explained how there's a duration from sunrise to sunset, but it's also a location and that the sun shines on everything. And so it's location and it's a duration. It's a place and it's amount of time. Under the sun describes the entire earth, everything the sun shines on and the fallen state of the world um, in this time, right? Before the re reconciliation and redemption of God, right? So it's a time and it's a, it's a place. It's where we are now, where we exist now. Because of Jesus, we know that the state of the world under the sun is not permanent. That is our hope, right? Um, Jesus came to give us that hope so that we could live in this world understanding the fallen nature and fallen state, um, but with, with the hope um, and the faith that God, God, will, God is at work. Not just one day, but God is at work in us, in the church, through us, um, of reconciling the world. Um, and eventually it will be done in completion, right? Um, so again, one of the things he says is Ecclesiastes paints a dark backdrop against which the reality of God's truth shines brightly. Um, so with, we're out of time, so I just want to uh, say one more thing. How does Jesus Christ give us hope in a world that Ecclesiastes describes? Um, you can think about that as well, but I'll give you um, my answer. Ecclesiastes tells us that, what, that we look above and beyond, right? So that's what I said earlier. Above and beyond the fallen world to find hope in the future, in God's future. Uh, we look to Jesus Christ, and in doing so, we find out how we can actually find enjoyment and purpose and fulfillment in the world. Um, it's fun that we did Revelation last year because that ultimately was what Revelation was about. Is look how terrible things are, but God has a hopeful future. I just want to explain one more thing. Um, I typically on the back pages uh, give some like uh, things for you to do to prepare for the next session. Well, this particular Bible study kind of already had something put together, and it's not necessarily preparing for next week, but rather kind of um, continuing from this week. Uh, there is guided reading, okay, and, and he had a paragraph for each one, and the idea is is not that you, you could, you could sit down and read all of this, read Ecclesiastes 1 through 15, you can read his little paragraph of his explanation, it's sort of a commentary on the text, or you could choose one of these a day, because there's one, two, three, four, five, six, so if you just do one of these a day, um, it would just give you the idea, and so it, it'll, all of these that I'm going to be including on the back while we're studying Ecclesiastes will be building on the, on the group discussion that we have here. Um, so it's always nice to have a continued uh, devotional resource um, if you're looking for, for, uh, for that um, in your life. So, um, so bring that home with you and, and study those, and next week we'll have one as well. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this book, this wonderful book, Ecclesiastes. Help us as we study it, Lord. Um, uh, we know that uh, your hope... Um, your hope shines through because Ecclesiastes is not, a, not the Bible in itself, but it's a part of the whole Bible. And we know that you have reconciliation. You have a redemption plan in place, Lord. We're grateful, oh God. We love you and we praise you. Would you go with us now into this week? Help us to be a people who can look at the world and acknowledge the reality of the fallen nature of it, the darkness of it, um, but not in hopelessness, but in hopefulness of what um, you can do through us and what you will do one day on that great day. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.